Good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you today. My name's Mike, and one of the pastors on the team. You might want to grab your notes out of your handout, and you will see that we are continuing a series. We started a series last week on prayer, and uh, we're going to continue it for the next couple of weeks. It's, it's actually been a really, really exciting thing for me because I get a chance to delve in and process and kind of grow even as I sort of uh, prep these messages. I'm learning. I'm growing. I'm on the journey with you as well. Uh, one of the things we started talking about last week, though, is sort of the foundation for this whole thing, this whole faith, this whole prayer journey is the belief that our God is a good, good father, that our good father is loving, that he is kind, that he wants to bless his children, right? So, so all of this sort of is predicated on the reality that God is a good father, and then prayer is what draws us to him, what connects us to our good father. It's how we grow in relationship with him. But what we didn't do is we didn't talk about why this series is called Moving Mountains. So I feel like we just really missed a, a couple of big opportunities last week, and we'll try to correct them. One is we didn't talk about moving mountains, and two, we missed a beautiful opportunity for dad jokes. And uh, so I thought I would just put both of those things together as we begin uh, today. So just, I mean, this is purely for your joy. Um, mountains aren't just hilarious. Oh, I screwed that one up. Shall I, Andrew? Yeah. Well, you can read that one. That's good. Uh, not amusing? My sediment, exactly. You guys are beginning to take these jokes for granted. You know, it didn't go any better the first service. <laughs> this is why I thank God for grace, right, always. So, so you need to think about, so in our prayer lives, it is prayer that actually draws us closer in relationship with Jesus. So that is the, the primary orientation I want your brain to have when it comes to prayer. Let me tell you what I don't want you to have. I don't want you to have the orientation that prayer is how I get what I want from God. Does that make sense? So, so the orientation is prayer is how I draw closer to God, how I am in relationship with God, how I'm continuing in this journey of understanding my good and loving Father. That's the primary orientation. Now, out of that orientation, yes, there, there are things that we ask the Lord for. So that is a part of it. But what we want to do is we want to start with what's most important. And Jesus says, this is how you start. Prayer is what brings us and draws us closer to God. And then he says, there is more. And so this is where the, the series title comes from. Jesus says in Matthew 17, 20, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. So that's just a beautiful, it's, it's encouraging. There's just so much packed into this little paragraph here. But here's something that you might not know. The cool, real tidbit that just outside of Jerusalem, it's actually about eight miles away from the, the very center of the city of Jerusalem, is a national park called Herodium. Okay. And there, you can see this picture, and what it looks like, it looks like kind of this volcanic cone. 
And what, what, in reality, this is an area that was built by King Herod the Great. It was a palace, a fortress, on the very top of what looks like to be a volcanic cone. But listen, I find this really, really interesting. More interesting than a man who names his palace after himself. More interesting than a man who adds the words the great after his name. Uh, Here's what I find interesting. That that volcanic cone that the palace was built on was actually constructed by Herod as well. That he took neighboring hillsides and he took the soil and the rock from those hillsides and he built that cone to be the tallest mountain in the Judean desert, and he put his palace on top of that. And this was happening all during the ministry of Jesus. So when Jesus tells his disciples, you can, you can say to a mountain, move from here to there, he's got a man-made object lesson right there to point to. So look, Herod made this mountain move from here to there, and all he had was money. You have so much more than that. You have a good, good father, right? You have faith in the goodness of of God and the presence of God in your life. You have so much more than that impoverished King Herod. All he had was money and power. You've got the Lord, right? Are you with me? Are you tracking with me? Now, I know Jesus wanted this to be encouraging because he said, you just need faith like a mustard seed. You know how tiny a mustard seed is? It's smaller than a peppercorn. It's just a tiny little seed. And I'm so thankful. He said, that's all the faith that you need. He didn't say, you've got to have like coconut faith, right? You need the big, hairy, you know, faith. Uh, the, the largest seed, by the way, on the planet is called the coco de mer, and it weighs up to 40 pounds. This is the seed for a palm tree, 40 pounds. He didn't say you have to have coco de mer faith, which would be, you know, I, I don't know, massive and slightly nauseating faith, I guess. I don't know. What, what he says is, no, a mustard seed, teeny tiny little mustard seed. And what I think he's talking about is faith can be small, but it needs to be sure of its identity. Faith can be tiny, but trusting in a good father. Faith can be teeny, but it fulfills its purpose. And that's what Jesus is inviting us into. And and one of the things I process when I think about prayer and when I think about faith is what is our focus when it comes to our prayer life? And this is is something as your pastor that I have to tell you, I, I actually have to reorient myself again and again and again. Because here's what I mean. When you're going through your life, if your focus is on the trials, if your focus is on the circumstances, if your focus is on the uncertainties, if your focus is on what has happened or what might happen, if that's where your focus is, then like Peter, you're going to be looking at the wind and the waves and the storm, and you're going to sink. But if your focus is on Jesus, then it orients everything. Then there's a stability there. And and I, I mean this. I'm trying to be vulnerable with you in a moment because... What I'm saying is there are times when I also lose my focus, that as your pastor, I have this unique privilege, and, and friends, there are so many of you that I've, you've invited me into spaces in your life where there have been times that the tragic has occurred in your life or your family's life. There have been times when God didn't seem to answer prayer, and so here we are at the graveside or here we are at the hospital bed. And, and, and you've invited me into those sacred spaces, and I count it a great honor that you have. So please, I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. Thank you for that. But what it means is that just professionally, 
It means that I am invited into spaces that very few other professions have a firsthand experience of. I mean, maybe firefighters, maybe police officers, those who are dealing with the hard and the tragic on a daily basis. But, but I want to tell you that, that because I'm invited into those spaces, sometimes then that becomes my focus. And then I end up focusing on the tragic. Or I end up focusing on those experiences. And when that happens, it's a slippery slope. And I can easily find myself like a frog in a blender in those moments, being tossed back and forth by the waves. Right? Like Peter, looking at the storm instead of looking at Jesus. And so here's really that orienting kind of a thing that we have to, to begin with. There's a foundation. And the foundation needs to be we have to focus on the tears in the eyes of our Savior. Right? We have to focus on a Jesus who actually weeps with compassion at the tragic and the difficulty of this world. We have to focus on the Christ who gave himself for us and allowed himself to be hung on a cross. We need to focus on him. And if we focus on him, then suddenly the ground has all kinds of firm foundation for us. If we, if we forget that, it's a mess. But if that's our focus then everything can, can be built on that. So let me give you some foundational truths to begin our prayer life, our prayer journey with. The first, I am loved by the Lord of the universe who gave himself for me. And you might want to write these down. He's the one who loves me. He's the one who gave himself for me. The second, I'm coming to him as a beloved child, not as a devalued slave, not as an unwanted orphan. In other words, those mentalities, we, they do slip in. And sometimes we beg him like we're this unwanted orphan and just a hassle. Or sometimes we come to him as just a servant and, and not really a very worthy servant, a very valuable servant. And, and that informs then how we interact with our Heavenly Father. But we need to come to him as beloved children. Right? We talked last week about how confident he wants us, how loving he wants us to, to be engaged in this prayer relationship with. He loves us. He's in a good mood when he sees us, right? He, we delight him, and, and, and those are the things that, that are foundational for us. And then this last one is he invites me into his work, and this is what we know to be true. We'll talk about, we talked about it last week. We'll talk about it again a little bit next week. But it's this reality that there is this beautiful work that our Heavenly Father is about right now. And it's a work in the redemption and the reconciliation of the world. And Jesus is the one who he's already accomplished the victory, but we get to be a part of bringing it to fruition and, and to reality today. And he invites us into this stuff. And I know, you got to think of it from God's perspective. He's got to know it's not the most efficient plan he could come up with, right? He, 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 you got to know that by trusting us to his work, well, it's a little bit like this. If you've ever asked a little kid to feed the dog, it, it might be like this. Go ahead and watch this video. I mean, that's you to God, right? <laughs> he, he knows what he's dealing with, you know? He, he's like, come and help me. And you're like, whoa, poosh, you know? He's, All right, come on, let's go. And, and yet, it's this beautiful thing. And so, so what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at what really is going on here. And I want to begin with this question. The question is, why is it that Jesus asks his disciples, or he actually gives them permission to, he tells them, the, and, and by proxy, you and I, he says, we can ask God for things in the name of Jesus. Why do you think that is? 
Why do you think that when we pray, we pray in the name of Jesus? I don't know if you've ever thought about this. Let me tell you what it's not. It's not a way of saying to God, I'm done talking to you now, right? It's not a way of like, okay, I'm going to hang up the prayer phone now, you know, in the name of Jesus, amen, right? Like that's not, that's not what it is. So, so let's talk about it because Jesus is actually telling us something important about authority. And so if you're, if you're taking notes, this is really important for us to understand sort of what has happened with authority. And it begins with this, that authority was originally gifted to us by God at creation. So, so God made everything. He made, you know, all the universe. He made all the earth. It just was a beautiful garden. And, and what he did when he made everything is he gave it to his image bearers. Right? And the scripture says this in Psalm 115, 16, the heavens belong to the Lord, but he has given the earth to all humanity. Amen. And so in Genesis 1 and 2, you can see that what God did is God created all things, and then he, he to his image bearers, he gave them this charge. He said, you're to steward it all, you are to order it all. And you're to name it all, right? There, there are these, and these are like ruling and reigning kinds of verbs. And, and what, basically that was God's intent, that we would reign over the earth as his proxy. That we would reign over the earth, that we would steward it, and we would take care for it in his name and for his glory. And the authority for all that was given to us, to our first parents. Like that was the original plan. That was the original intent. And not only was this authority given and this charge given to us by God, but friends, it was a delight. It was a delight to do. It was, it was a joy to be caught up in this purpose that God had given, this good purpose of stewarding well and ordering well and naming well. And so all of that was a beautiful, beautiful scenario. But the delight was short-lived. You know this if you're filling in the blanks. The delight was short-lived because authority was then ceded to the enemies through sin. So sin entered, and we handed the reins to the enemy. Theologians call this the fall. Uh, by choosing to reject God's goodness, God's love for us, by being disobedient, our first parents gave authority away. They were tricked out of their birthright by a bowl of soup, or in this case, by a piece of fruit. Creation fell, and now toil and hardship and death became the norm. So you could call this the fall, but you could also call it the great coup because the enemy stole the crown away. Now, I know that for some of us, this may sound a bit fanciful, but I want you to see it through the eyes of Jesus because Jesus validates this. Jesus, when he's referring to the enemy of God and the enemy of our souls, he calls him in John 14.30, the prince of this world or the ruler of this world. So Jesus, this is from Jesus' own validation. This is what he says has gone on. And then you might recall the temptation of Jesus. When the devil takes Jesus and begins to tempt him systematically. And so this is what it says in Luke 4, 5 through 7. It says, then the devil took him, Jesus, up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. So he could see all the kingdoms laid out before him. And, and the, the devil says this, I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Now, now focus on that passage for a moment. The enemy says, <clears throat> I will give you 
all of this because I have the authority to give them to anyone I please. And, and this was a temptation. What, what the devil was really offering Jesus was the victory of the cross without the pain of it. He was offering him sort of the, the end result, the glory of what the cross would accomplish without the horror of actually walking through it, without the obedience to the Father. It was a shortcut. Now, here's what's interesting to me. Jesus was tempted by this, right? It's one of the temptations of Jesus. Why was he tempted by it? Because it's true. The enemy did have the authority over all the earth. The enemy could give it to whoever he wanted to. It was tempting because it was true. Are you following me? Well, if it wasn't true, Jesus would have just called it out. You're, you're fibbing. You're fibber McGee. There's no way. This is it's not even tempting because it's not true. You can't give me. It's not yours to give. You know, it was only tempting because it was true. And so Jesus didn't answer by calling him out to be a liar. What, what Jesus did answer was, I'm going to do what the scripture tells me to do, which is worship the Lord and worship him only. And Jesus did that, right? Jesus did follow through and was obedient to what the scripture said. And that brings us to this next fill-in. Authority has now been won back by Jesus through the fulfillment of his life, ministry, crucifixion, and resurrection. So all of this, Jesus has accomplished. It's all underneath what I call, often from the stage, you've heard me talk about the work Christ accomplished through the cross. This is what I'm talking about. That, that Jesus accomplished so much through his obedience to the Father, his ministry, right, the perfection of his life, him willingly going to the cross in my stead and in your stead, being crucified for the forgiveness of sins, and then being resurrected from the grave, proving that he was God in the flesh, right? All of these things are a part of what we're talking about with the authority now being invested back to Jesus Christ. Right? This is the power of what we're talking about here. And I put some scripture on your, on your notes. This is from Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. The apostle Paul's talking. He's talking to us. He says, you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all our sins. Again, this is under what Christ accomplished on the cross. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Now, focus here. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So friends, focus on that for a second. He's talking about these rulers, these, the authorities of this fallen world, those who are in charge of this fallen world. What has happened? Through the cross, Jesus has disarmed them. He has shamed them, and he has defeated them once for all. Like, this has happened. It's done. It's, it's a done deal. And so this is the reality now. All authority has gone back to Jesus. These words, by the way, the Greek words for the authorities, the powers, the rulers, they're the same Greek words that Paul uses in the book of Ephesians when he says this. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Right? We're not fighting against mere humans in this whole thing, but it's against rulers, it's against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Amen. So, this is going on, right? 
There's a spiritual reality. There's a spiritual battle that's going on, and it's going on underneath the material world that we do live in, that we see and experience with our senses. There's this spiritual reality that's also going on. And it's the spiritual conflict that Paul's trying to get us to, to have our eyes awakened to. And it, and it overflows into things like famine and racism and ISIS and armed conflict. But it also, we recognize it internally in the battle over temptation, right? The, the, the battle to, to give in to shortcuts, the battle to be our very best selves. But here's the good news. In fact, this is the great news, is that Jesus has won the victory. That Jesus has accomplished his purpose and all authority is now rightfully restored to Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus Christ, who at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, right? That's the end of this whole story. And when Jesus is resurrected from the grave, he appears to his disciples. He says this in Matthew 28, 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority. Can you circle the word all for me? All authority. It's not some, it's not most. It's all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's all been restored to him. On Good Friday this year, we actually talked about the phrase, it is finished. This is what he's talking about. It's finished. And what's interesting to me is if you flip over to the Gospel of John, in chapter 13, it talks about how Jesus is aware. This is the last night that he's spending with his disciples before the crucifixion. And Jesus is aware that the mantle of authority is now being presented to him again. And, and what does he do when he is recognizing this authority returning to him? He gets down on his knees and he begins to wash the feet of his disciples. Amen. And this is a great pattern for Jesus' followers to, to go after. Right? right? See, when we talk about power, when we talk about authority, so often what our minds go to is overpower. Right? Power over. That, that now it's control, it's manipulation, it's, it's, it's making things happen so that I'm the one who benefits. That, this idea of power over. But what Jesus does is he serves. He gets down on his knees. What Jesus does throughout his entire ministry is he speaks for those who are lost, for those who are least. He speaks for lepers. He speaks for ladies. He speaks for the marginalized and the disenfranchised and the voiceless. What Jesus always does is he uses his power on behalf of those who have no power. He uses his authority on, the, on behalf of those who have none on their own. And, and what we see with Jesus, and you might want to write this down, is Jesus uses his authority. He uses his power to empower. He never overpowers. Jesus always empowers. And it's just important for us to take a moment and talk about that so that we understand exactly what this beautiful authority of Jesus is all about. So to summarize, God made this beautiful world, this wonderful garden. He gave it to us and all the authority that goes with stewarding, shepherding, and reigning over it. Uh, in a moment, we handed it over to the enemy. 
And he, has, he is ruled like a despot, right? He is ruled like Stalin, Hitler, and Pol Pot combined. That, that is the enemy's rule. And it's ruthless. And it's no respecter of life or person or anything. There's just absolute destruction that he serves uh, no one but himself with in that rule and control. But through the work of the cross... All authority has now been returned to Jesus Christ. Now, here's the beautiful, beautiful thing, and this is where we are today. Amen. Uh, Jesus shares his authority with his followers. And I wish I had like a fanfare. I wish I had a dun, dun, dun. Like, like this is where we are today, that Jesus, all authority being in the universe returning to him, now he shares it willingly with those who follow him. Luke 10, 19, Jesus says, look, I have given you authority over all the power of the enemy. Friends, this is why our prayers matter. This is why we want to grow in our prayer life. We want to grow our prayer muscles. This is why our decisions matter. This is why our thoughts matter and our words matter and our works matter. It's because we are invited to do our good father's work in this life. I found a couple of quotes. William James says this, Our present life feels like a real fight, as if there were something really wild in the universe which we are needed to redeem. And that's what Jesus is inviting us into. He's inviting us into the redemptive work that he wants to have happen, that will happen at the culmination of history. C.S. Lewis says this, He seems to do nothing of himself, which he can possibly delegate to his creatures, to you and to me. He commands us to do slowly and blunderingly what he could do perfectly and in the twinkling of an eye. Creation seems to be delegation through and through. So Jesus delegates to us real and important tasks, right? This is not just, oh, you're my little helper. It's we're really invited into this work. And not only are they real and important tasks, the task of redemption, of, of continuing the reconciliation of all things, but he gives us the authority and the power with which to accomplish the work that he's inviting us into. And so now we go back to where we started last week when the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Jesus, teach us to pray. That's kind of what we're saying in this series. Jesus, teach us to pray. And the first thing Jesus says is we need to pray like this. And, and you've got it on your notes here. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So that's what last week was about. If you missed it, go back online. It's a great starting place to, to be reminded again of our good, good Father. Our Father, hallowed be thy name. We want to praise you. We want to worship you. We recognize your goodness and your love. And then he says, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, if you look at that, and you take sort of everything that we've talked about together, we are to pray with the faith of a mustard seed that God's kingdom would come, that our Father's will would be done. And this is where the bulk of our prayer life can be spent. And this is where the bulk of our life as followers of Jesus can be spent, seeking to bring God's will and God's kingdom into the here and the now. And, and I do want you to see that these prayers, they change the world, but they also change us, right? They change us. It's a recognition that in heaven, God's will is done perfectly, but that's not quite true yet in my life. 
And so I pray, Father, that your will be done perfectly here as it is in heaven. Amen. Are you following me? I, I pray that your kingdom come here first Amen. as it already exists in heaven. I pray it into earth. And so we have this picture of heaven crashing into earth again and again and again. And by the way, you know this, when we talk about the kingdom, we're talking about God's kingdom, a kingdom of love where everyone is welcome, where everyone belongs, where everyone is loved, where everybody plays a part. And that's what we are praying into existence under the authority of Jesus. And as I'm doing some research this week, and as I'm sort of mulling over many different concepts on this idea of authority, there's a word I want to talk about today. It's a word that John Eldridge uses in his book, uh, Moving Mountains. And, and so I thought, oh, this would be a great way to just frame our minds. We've gone sort of on a trail of theology. Now let's just end with practical. This is really practical. And it's the word consecrate. We don't use this word very often, but it's an important word for us. And what consecrate is... It's a way of orienting ourselves under Christ's authority or dedicating ourselves to the authority of Christ or aligning ourselves with the will of Christ. Amen. And this is a, a little bit interesting. I want you to think of it like an equation with two sides. It's, there's the Lord's side and then there's our side. So let me say really clearly. Jesus has already taken care of everything needed on his side of the equation. Amen. So when we consecrate ourselves to the Lord, it's not like we're doing something to get Jesus to do something that he hasn't already done. So here's what I mean. It's more about our mental focus. It's about us getting ourselves in a position where we can receive and more fully understand what Jesus has already accomplished for us. Because, friends, the work of the cross is complete. Jesus has made us right with God. Your sins are forgiven. And here's a little trick question. How many of your sins have been forgiven? All of your sins have been forgiven. That this is the work of Christ on the cross. And so as we consecrate ourselves to him, what we're doing is we're aligning ourselves underneath these truths. And we're declaring them as true again in our life. That, yes, because of the work of the cross, we're forgiven. And you might even want to say this personally. Because of the work of the cross, I am forgiven. Because of the work of the cross, I am completely graced. I am favored. I'm blessed. I'm saved. Because of the work of Jesus Christ through the cross, all authority has been returned to him. And you give me authority as your beloved son, as your beloved daughter. And now I operate under your authority. I actually am a, a vice regent of your kingdom. And everywhere I go, I declare that this is your kingdom. And I pray your will be done here as it is in heaven. Are you with me? And so it's this consecration kind of a thing that we begin to just orient our lives again back in alignment with his authority. And it starts personally. So when you begin to consecrate yourself, that's when confession comes into your prayer life. Where if there are these areas of your life that are outside of the will of God, you begin to confess those things and you bring them to him. And you just, you recognize his forgiveness of those things. This is not a, a time where you have to tear yourself up. This is not a penance kind of a thing. You don't have to beat yourself up for sins. But you just bring that stuff underneath his authority and you recognize his forgiveness. You confess it. You agree with him over it. You turn away from it. And then, where do you stop? You just keep going. 
right? So it's not just your own self. It's not just your own sort of personhood. But then you bring your children, if you have children. You bring your children underneath. And you, you just kind of prayerfully consecrate them to the Lord. And then if you're married, you bring your marriage underneath the authority of Christ. And, and again, it's not something you pray on behalf of your spouse. This is actually you saying, and I want your will to be done in my life, at my end of this spousal relationship, right? And some of you are like, oh, pastor, you're getting in my business right now. Because when we consecrate ourselves, we're the ones that are changed. We're the ones that are opened up. And then we bring in our work, right? The, the, the work that we do. And then we bring in our finances. And then we bring in our entertainment. And then we bring in our choices. Like, like all this stuff, you know, we, that we've got going on in the domain of our lives, we bring it underneath the authority of Jesus and we consecrate it all to him. Now, this is a lot, lot more when we're talking about prayer than just now I lay me down to sleep, Right? Like, there's growth here that we can all go after. Uh, one of the things that I want to tell you about consecration is that I have found experiences in my life where when I begin with concentra- uh, consecration, when I begin here, that the Lord just instantly sort of opens up some other things. And I'll, I'll give you an example. I can think of many occasions, not just, not just one or two, many occasions where I know I've got, to, I've got to come up with some thoughts. I've got to write something, whether it's a message or a sermon, whether it's part of a book or whatever. I'm, I know I've got a deadline that I've got to accomplish something. And I'll sit in front of my computer and just blank. I got nothing. It's not just that I don't have an original thought. I've never had an original thought. If I have an original thought, I'm going to throw a party. It's not just that I don't have an original thought. I don't have any thoughts, right? It's just blank. And so I'll be like, okay, this isn't happening. And so I'll, I'll just get away, and I'll come before the Lord, and I'll just start where I just started with you. I just, Lord, I just I bring myself underneath your authority, and I just want to offer myself to you, and I, I want to confess. There's stuff. Is there anything that I need to confess? And he might bring a couple of things, so I, then I start to confess those things. And then, Lord, and, and what I want to do is I want to bring my household underneath your authority, and so I, I bring my kids. I mention them by name, and I pray specific prayers over them, and bring my marriage underneath your authority, and I, so I begin to pray that, and then, and Lord, in this work, I bring under your authority. I, I, I want to consecrate it to you because I know that it matters to you. I know the words I say matter. I know the way in which I, I try to lead over like it matters, and, and so, Lord, I just, I want to bring it all underneath this authority that you have. I want your will to be done in this work, and I'm telling you again and again and again, God will open up creativity. He will open up passion. He will open up thoughts. He will open up a direction, and just words will flow, and I feel like, you know, ideas will come, and it's almost sometimes like, like God himself is just saying, hey, here's where you lead him. Here's what you say. Here's where you challenge him, and if you've never tried it, then this is my challenge. Just try it. Like, just begin one of these days this week that you just begin by praying this prayer of consecration and just humbly coming before the Lord, aligning yourself with his will over you. Now, Eldridge has written a prayer called the Daily Prayer. And he and his team, they go through this prayer daily. And it's a beautiful thing. And I've prayed it myself. And, and it's a great sort of, uh, if you're just having trouble picturing it, it's a, it's a great thing to just read through and to pray through, uh, give you help on how to do that. 
If you want a copy of that prayer, just on your connection card right now, underneath that area where it talks about, you know, if you have areas to pray over, if you would just write daily prayer down, or if that's too many letters, just write DP down. Like, I mean, I know sometimes my hand's cramping writing daily prayer. Just a DP, that's fine. And we will send you, we'll email you that daily prayer just as sort of a, a practice kind of a thing. What I'd love to do is if you see on the bottom of your outline, you'll see that there's a challenge for this week. And basically what I've just been talking about is that practical challenge. That sometime this week you would, you would spend some time consecrating yourself, consecrating your family, consecrating your work to the Lord. And then the challenge is that sometime this week you would take a walk. You'd walk around your neighborhood and maybe pray over the different homes in your neighborhood, pray over the families, that you would pray the, the kingdom come in your own neighborhood. Maybe you walk through the city center where you live, and you, you pray over businesses, you pray over the different uh, you know, the areas of commerce, you pray over the marketplaces, you pray over the interactions there. That you just, you consecrate yourself first, and then you become an agent of change and redemption in this world, where you are praying as Jesus taught us to pray. We're saying, Father, your kingdom come here. Your will be done here on earth, in this home, in this business, in this heart, as it is in heaven. Amen. Friends, I got to tell you something. This kind of fires me up because I look all around this church and I see mustard seed faith. I see faith in a good, good father. Amen. I see trust in a loving savior, Amen. in a Jesus who would go to the cross in our stead. I see mustard seed faith all over this place. And that means it's time to move some mountains. Amen? You with me? All right. So let's pray. Let's pray. And Lord Jesus, we do just want to begin with this idea of bringing ourselves underneath your authority. Lord, I know that there are probably some here who, even now, they, they, they don't even know exactly what they believe about you or about God or about salvation. And so, Jesus, I just ask right now that for those men and women in this room, that you would just come around them gently, that your Holy Spirit would just hold them tight, and that they would see that you love them more than they could ever fathom. We just begin here. And then Jesus, for those of us who have said yes to you, we do trust you. We just want to say that we're yours. And we confess that you are such an incredibly compassionate and loving Savior. We know that all authority in the universe has been given to you. And so we bring ourselves now underneath that authority. We align ourselves now with your will, with your goals. And it starts with us personally. So Jesus, where there are areas of our lives that are out of alignment, where there are thought processes, where there are decisions or desires we have that we know they're not in alignment with you, we just bring that stuff to you now. We want to confess it to you. We just, we, we, we recognize that it, it, it's stuff that it just might be our agenda, but it might not be yours. So we offer it to you now. We ask that you would come and that you would consecrate our thoughts, 
that you would hold us and orient us in direct alignment with who you are and how it is that you want us to live. We bring our children, we bring our our marriages if we're married, we bring our singleness if we're single. We ask that that's consecrated now under your authority. We bring our, our work, we bring what we do to earn an income. We bring our workplaces, our relationships in our work lives, we bring that underneath your authority. We bring our neighborhoods, Lord. We bring our our communities underneath your authority. We know that your kingdom is, is wanting to break out in these areas. And so we pray that now. We orient our lives to bringing your kingdom into these areas. Lord Jesus, we want to continue. We want to bring our finances under your authority. We want to bring our entertainment choices under your authority. Our Netflix queue we bring under your authority. We want to bring our internet use under your authority. We bring all of this stuff underneath your authority, consecrating it to you now in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And now, having consecrated ourselves to you, we pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. 